Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by our Executive Director, Dr. Oliver Hartwich. Oliver, hello. Hi Ben. Oliver, your latest newsroom column again focuses on Belarus and uh, who you referred to as the last dictator of Europe, Alexander Lukashenko. You last touched on this subject uh, on newsroom back in August where Lukashenko had been directing Middle Eastern migrants towards the Lithuanian border and causing all sorts of problems for the EU. He's now got his eyes set on Poland and is doing the same thing over there. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about what's been going on and why he's shifted his focus? Well, as you say, the crisis has been going on for quite a while now. I first covered that, as you said, in August, when Lukashenko tried to smuggle these migrants across the Lithuanian border. Now, Lithuania is, of course, a relatively small country in Europe, a small member of the European Union. That probably wasn't enough to gain the West's attention, so Lukashenko is now turning to a much bigger fish, and that is Poland. Poland, of course, for historical reasons, has a trauma with its border on the east. It is constantly fearful, of course, of interference from Russia. And um, to have this border now tested in that way by Lukashenko really touches a raw nerve for many Poles. Plus, the basic problem is, of course, exactly the same as it was with the Lithuanian crisis, because once these migrants cross those borders, they are in the European Union, and then it's no longer a national problem for Lithuania or Poland, it becomes a problem for the whole of the EU. So Lukashenko, of course, wants to provoke, he wants to provoke a response, he um, wants to basically find a way to fight back against the European Union, because the, the EU never acknowledged his election victory last year, because the election was, of course, fraudulent. So he's trying to inflict maximum pain on the European Union. And he perhaps rightly concluded that the way to do that is not just to focus on Lithuania, but to really try it with a much bigger Poland. What's his end game? What does he hope to achieve by doing this? Is he hoping to lift trade sanctions or is he hoping to be paid off by the EU or European Commission? I don't think he can realistically expect to be paid off by the European Union. Uh, He just wants to have some international recognition. He he plays that game. It's realpolitik. So, for example, in the context of this crisis, he received a phone call from Angela Merkel this week. Well, that phone call lasted for 50 minutes. It was reported. The German authorities confirmed that a phone call had taken place. They actually said that Angela Merkel talked with Herr Lukashenko, not President Lukashenko, because the Germans still don't acknowledge the result of last year's election. But no matter what they call him, it of course lifts his standing that the German Chancellor calls him and talks to him for almost an hour. So even though the Germans wouldn't have given any concessions, they wouldn't have made any payments, and the conflict of course is not resolved, that phone call alone lifts him again in international recognition, at least in his view. I guess it's uh, like the old adage, the only thing worse than not being talked about negatively is not being talked about at all. Yeah. The other thing, of course, that Lukashenko needs is he needs to show that he's relevant in some way. There is a uh, scheduled meeting between him and Vladimir Putin, and that's a very complicated relationship in itself between Belarus and Russia. And that meeting is scheduled to take place on the 2nd of December. And it is not in Lukashenko's interest to have this crisis resolved by then. Actually, it would be in his interest to escalate it further because he, of course, needs it as a bargaining chip in his relationship with Russia too. Now, these refugees coming through from Belarus, they're mostly from Middle Eastern countries. 
Belarus does not share a border with Middle Eastern countries. How are they getting there and what's Turkey's role? <laughs> well, uh, actually, Turkey plays an interesting role in all of this because the initial idea to use refugees as a bargaining chip is a Turkish idea. It was an idea um, basically developed by Turkish President uh, Erdogan. And Erdogan has a long history and a long experience in all of this because if you think back to the great refugee crisis of 2015, first of all, a lot of these refugees then made their way into the European Union via Greece, of course, originated from Turkey, from Turkish camps. And um, initially the Turkish side facilitated the transfer of these migrants across to their Greek neighbors. The whole crisis only stopped when the European Union paid Ankara billions of euros, kind of a dirty deal. You basically keep them where they are and we are going to pay you. So Erdogan has learned in that way in the crisis of 2015 how to play that refugee game. And ever since he has toyed with the idea quite publicly that he might just open the border again and he might open the floodgates and I might send you a few more refugees. Erdogan uses this tactic as a tool to kind of blackmail the European Union, if you like. Now, the one regime that listened very carefully to these musings from Ankara was, of course, the Belarusian regime of Alexander Lukashenko. So, in a way, the inspiration for using refugees in this way probably comes from Turkey. And so it was only fitting that Turkey also then played a role in this Belarusian crisis. So a lot of these refugees are now basically transferred via Turkey, flying on Turkish airlines um, via Istanbul and then on to Belarus until last week when the Turkish government finally gave in to pressure from Brussels to stop this trafficking. With a significant external threat like that, uh, you note in your column that the EU has to take a united approach and have a united response. Are there some risks that member countries might diverge from uh, from that united response? Yes, because uh, the European public is deeply divided on this. It's divided within European Union member countries and of course European member countries, Union member countries are divided in themselves. So within Germany, for example, there are voices, for example, Wolfgang Schäuble, former president of the Bundestag, saying, well, actually, why don't we just accept these refugees, let them in now and solve this crisis, at least for now. Others, of course, would be um, completely against that. Within the European Union, you have countries that are more open to the idea of just taking some refugees and actually distributing across um, the whole of the EU. And other countries, most notably, of course, Poland, Hungary, Austria, Slovakia, would be very skeptical about that kind of solution. And then, of course, there is the other divide that comes from the fact that, of course, these refugees, these migrants, do not want to settle in just any EU member state. I mean, the majority of them really want to settle eventually in Germany or maybe in the Netherlands or in Sweden. But, I mean, even Italy or um, Portugal or France are hardly on their wish list. So, of course, European countries have different interests based on their status in this refugee crisis and therefore it is very difficult to find a common position for the EU. The EU meanwhile and EU institutions are quite divided in, as well. So there is a conflict between Ursula von der Leyen as the EU Commission President and Charles Michel, the President of the European Council. So von der Leyen for example was totally against supporting the polls on 
for example, building a, a fence or a wall on, along their border, whereas um, Charles Michel was um, quite open to the idea. So even within EU um, structures, there are differences of opinion on how to proceed on all of that. Right, so if there are large differences of opinion within European institutions, will that threaten them going forward? You note in your column that Poland's even considering getting NATO involved, as they see it, as a as an external threat to their defence. Yeah, I mean, that, that Polish idea of maybe even asking NATO for support based on Articles 4 and 5 of the NATO Treaty, it's understandable if you're Poland, because, as I said, Poland has this national trauma of its borders, for very good historical reasons, of course. However, it is not really a question of defense. I mean, the people standing on the other side of the border are not soldiers trying to get in. Poland's territorial integrity is not endangered in this sense. If Poland opened the border now to refugees, um, Poland would still exist as a state in its current borders. So NATO perhaps is not quite the right way to deal with this. It's it's not like Crimea used to be when um, Russian troops invaded and basically seized that territory. The question is therefore not a military one. The question is more a political one. And it can only be solved in a political way. And for that to happen, I think there needs to be unity with European member states, at least as far as supporting Poland in this crisis is concerned. I think that's important. Otherwise, um, it sends a signal to Belarus to just keep on going and and keep doing what you're doing. And they would feel encouraged to just um, bring in even more refugees and migrants and basically transfer them to the border. So Poland needs that political support. How that support then plays out, um, whether Poland will get support from the EU, for example, in building that fence, whether Poland will get support in having some of these migrants um, taken over by other European countries to let them cross the border, that's a different matter. The problem is, of course, if the European Union sets that precedent now and takes these migrants, it could have the same effect. At least that's the fear of some um, that taking a few thousand migrants from um, Hungary had in 2015. Remember, the big migrant stream in Germany in that year took more than a million refugees, started with Germany just opening the border to just a few thousand migrants stuck in Hungary at the time. And the fear is now that if Belarus manages to smuggle in the next 10 or 15,000 people that are currently standing at the border, that it would just be an open invitation for more to come. Right, so it would be precedent-setting. Yes. And the question is really, is 2015 the precedent here? Or is it still true what Merkel has said many times since that 2015 cannot be repeated? Mm. And that is the question the European Union now has to answer. And I don't think they have one because there are no easy answers. There are no easy answers, um, but I'll I'll put you on the spot now. Looking ahead a few months, how do you see this playing out? Is it going to further escalate, or do you think there will be some sort of political intervention that uh, de-escalates the situation? Hmm. Hard to say. My gut feeling here is that the solution to this crisis does not lie in Brussels or in Poland or in Berlin. The solution probably lies in Moscow. I think if you really want to solve this crisis, you can only do that via Vladimir Putin. Putin seems to be the only person who seems to have any kind of influence still on what's happening in Belarus. And if um, that crisis should stop, then the EU probably has to talk to Putin directly. It all comes back to Putin. Dr. Oliver Hardwich, thanks so much for your time today. Very interesting subject matter. If you'd like to read Oliver's column, head over to Newsroom. The column is titled Exploiting the EU's Divisions. Dr. Oliver Hardwich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. 
To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.